financial experts thought we were in the clear. They were anticipating around six rate cuts by the Fed this year. And then the inflation data came out, higher than expected. Friends, this isn't going away. It can't. The U.S. is $34 trillion in the hole, and yet we keep printing money, which pushes the prices you pay every day even higher. So you can either bury your head in the sand or you can do something about it. Diversify a portion of your savings into gold with Birch Gold Group. Gold is your hedge against inflation, and Birch Gold makes it easy to own. They'll help you convert an existing IRA or 401k into a tax-sheltered IRA in gold, and you don't pay a penny out of pocket. Text STRANGE to 989898 and get your free info kit on gold. Then talk to a precious metal specialist on how to protect your savings from persistent inflation with gold. Text STRANGE to 989898 now. The highly anticipated second season of the hit podcast Proof is finally here. Proof is an investigative true crime podcast co-hosted by Susan Simpson of Undisclosed and Jacinda Davis of Evil Lives Here. Proof made headlines for its first season in 2022 after proving the innocence of two Georgia men serving life sentences for murdering their friend Brian Bowling when they were just 17 years old. 25 years later, on December 8, 2022, both men were finally freed based on evidence unearthed by Proof. In the second season of Proof, Murder at the Warehouse, Susan and Jacinda are on the case again, this time traveling the streets of Manteca, California, to uncover who really murdered 18-year-old Rene Ramos. On June the 5th, 2000, Ramos's body was found buried under a pile of debris inside the shell of a new Home Depot building. Despite tips hinting at alternate suspects, tips that were ignored until now, Renee's boyfriend, 18-year-old skateboarder Jake Silva, and Ty Lopez, the 33-year-old uncle of one of Jake's close friends, were arrested and convicted of her murder. Fans of true crime and investigative series won't want to miss this riveting new season. Follow the case as Susan and Jacinda uncover long-overlooked evidence about what really happened to Renee by listening to Proof, Murder at the Warehouse, wherever you get your podcasts. Conspiracy Unlimited with Richard Serrett. They may have negotiated agreements with our surface governments to take goods down below, meaning they are trucked out of warehouses, go into a hangar, and nothing comes out of the hangar. Just a door opens up and it's empty again, meaning there's lifts going from hangars into tunnel systems for food support and logistical supports for underground bases as well as theirs. You can become an official Patreon supporter of my work here at Strange Planet Productions by donating a monthly amount through patreon.com forward slash strange planet patreon.com forward slash strange planet there are several tiers to choose from pick which one is right for you but any monthly amount is greatly appreciated as a sign of my appreciation you can have your name mentioned on air during my weekly radio show or you could have your name included in a crawl on my youtube channel live stream you could also receive episodes of my old podcast the rock and roll twilight zone this critically acclaimed podcast produced in partnership with Chris Jericho, is not currently available anywhere else. If you enjoy this podcast or my weekly radio program, The Conspiracy Show, you can really get behind me and my work by donating once a month at patreon.com forward slash strange planet, patreon.com forward slash strange planet. Conspiracy Unlimited with Richard Serres. Pursuing the truth wherever it leads. Exposing evil and corruption and the secret machinations of powerful elites. Revealing the high strangeness beneath the surface of our supposed reality. Coming to you from his studio beneath the stairs. Here's Richard Serrett. Is there a subterranean reptilian humanoid civilization here on Earth? John Rhodes is the world's foremost authority on reptilian humanoids or reptilian aliens. His pioneering work investigating claims of reptilian alien contact eventually resulted in the birth of an entirely new genre of study in the UFO community. John's highly controversial perspectives have provided audiences with an entirely new view into the world of cryptozoology, UFOs, underground bases, extraterrestrial life, and inner 
extraterrestrial civilizations. He's lectured both in the U.S. and internationally. He's also appeared on TV shows, including Monster Quest, uh, The Conspiracy Zone, BBC Conspiracies, Animal X, Unsolved Mysteries, and uh, on the History Channel's UFO Hunter. Yeah, hunters, rather, in shows discussing the Dulcie base, America's secret underground uh, tube shuttle system, and, of course, the whole men in black phenomenon. John is currently residing near Mariposa Midpines, California, just south of the Yosemite National Park. John, how are you? I'm doing great, Richard. How are you? I'm well. You know, you just reminded me the other day, we were uh, texting back and forth, that uh, the last time we spoke was 2008, 14 years ago. I can't believe it. A lot has happened since then, hasn't it? Oh, <laughs> it's a, an entire lifetime, it seems. Uh, so 2014 years ago, that's entirely my bad. Um, so I, um, I, uh, I promise we'll get you back on uh, sooner the next time. It won't be 14 Please, years, no, I can promise no you that. Yeah, no apologies necessary. It's always a good talk to you. So the uh, the terrestrial reptilian hypothesis, the idea that that reptiles or these reptilians rather or reptoids are are living here amongst us or beneath our feet. Um, tell me about how you developed that hypothesis. Um, well, it was uh, a number of years ago. I had um, stumbled across a UFO meeting in in Las Vegas, and I didn't know anybody really to uh, go out and socialize with. It was before the Internet, you know, was really popular with all the social sites and everything that keeps everybody home. But anyway, I um, went to this rather eclectic group of people, and I thought, well, this will be kind of fun and fascinating to experience. And coming out of it, I realized that there were one or two people that were claiming not to have contact or sightings of some sort of unusual creature that they interacted with uh, that was akin to like the small diminutive greys that was so popular out there on television and Whitley Stryber's books had talked about them and such, but rather something that had a reptilian form to it. And, um, when I started hearing these reports, and then I listened to an interview with the coroner in, in um, Roswell, New Mexico, when he had um, been interviewed, he said that the uh, the skin of the creatures that that they had been asked to um, get the coffins for, and uh, when he saw them, he said it had beaded skin like that of a lizard. And that seemed to be a very much overlooked point. But I started putting one and one together. And what really sealed it for me is that uh, a paleontologist by the name of Dale Russell, the late Dale Russell, he was working on a uh, model of a dinosaur named Truodon uh, millions of years ago for NASA. And and NASA had asked him, uh, how could you project forward what extraterrestrial life would look like? And when he took this upright dinosaur truodon that had uh, eyes that were coming from the side of its head towards the front giving it binocular vision and it had three fingers and an opposable grasping thumb and it had a large brain he took the model of that dinosaur and extrapolated it out over time and said had it not uh, died out when all the dinosaurs had uh, been wiped off the planet of the earth over time uh, this is what it would have looked like and the model he came up with was a humanoid being that had two legs, two arms, just like a human does, but its uh, physiology would be definitely reptilian. And um, when I put all of that together, I started uh, correlating reports from different people across the United States, and then I started posturing the idea that what if we're actually looking at, uh, when we call them extraterrestrials, perhaps we may be looking at something that's terrestrial-based, and living on our planet, but we just haven't had contact with it. After all, it's only 15% of all life on Earth has ever been cataloged. There's a lot out there still hidden from the human eye, especially in the underground regions. Right, and and, and if they had sort of an evolutionary jump start on humans uh, and, and had intelligence, then they would, I guess, have the ability and then the wherewithal and so forth to avoid human contact. Uh, but occasionally they have been spotted. So give me a physical description of uh, what we, we think these, first of all, do we say reptoid or reptilian? 
Well, a lot of people out there like to call call it different names so they can identify their work from anybody else's. But um, many years ago, when we I, I first came out with this and tried to introduce it by doing lectures and television appearances during the 90s, um, uh, we started looking at something that was uh, tall. It was about uh, six to seven feet in, in height. It had a head that was uh, had a large, rather large back sloping cranium, and um, not overly sized, but enough to be noticeable. The, these creatures looked from a diminutive size up to that of like a linebacker, uh, very broad shoulders, uh, long arms, very muscular. The three fingers with the opposable thumb and claws. Uh, some have been seen with tails or not tails, and um, their scales on their bodies uh, are very um, small in areas where they're very flexible, like around the neck and face. And um, they have large almond-shaped eyes with vertical-shaped pupils, uh, slits for nose, and also a wide lipless mouth uh, that um, um, that is uh, attached to a very prominent square jaw. And they have a very small pinhole perhaps behind some scales on their left and right of their head for hearing. Um, and these are the creatures that were described, if you think about it, back in ancient times. And you remember in the, in the Bible, they say the Genesis story talks about Adam and Eve talking to a snake in the garden. And yes, it's been written as a, a symbol of evil, but when the important thing was um, the... Uh, the form that was discussed in the more ancient works like the Haggadah actually described the being as having two legs and walking upright with arms. And in regards to the word reptilian or reptoids, reptoids is a combination of reptilian and humanoids. So it's a more definitive word. Reptilian could be crocodiles, it could be turtles, it could be a lizard. Reptilian is pretty much anything. Um, so I used that word originally to try and define what people were encountering. And uh, you mentioned some have tails, some some do not. So is this to suggest that there may be uh, more than one, what do we call them, species or race of, of reptilians? I believe that there may be actually under the surface of the earth pocket civilizations of different reptilian beings and just like there's a variation of humans on the surface of the Earth, there may be a very wide variation of reptilian beings living under our planet. And this is kind of an interesting thought because, you know, it takes the whole discussion when the government says we don't perceive any extraterrestrial threat, then they're, not, they're actually using like a legal loophole to not discuss whether they're addressing an issue that is terrestrial in nature and not extraterrestrial. And I right. think it's time that we start addressing that and get mo getting more defined in our language on how we, um, you know, appeal to authorities to come clear on what they know. And ah, that's an excellent point. Are, so, when, so, when for so when, for example, someone does a, a FOIA request, they should be very specific in their language because if we keep making inquiries about what might be out there, that gives the government a loophole to basically, I don't know, continue to obfuscate or just ignore the question. But if we're specific, Absolutely. if we're talking... Keeping right. in mind, you know, that departments like the FBI, most of their employees are attorneys. So, you know, these guys are have been taught that everything is according to the language and the punctuation used in the document. They are so important because you can lie about things. You can avoid telling the truth based on the way somebody asks something. And if we're going to proceed uh, asking this question about where are these craft coming from that are descending from 80,000 feet to sea level at 50,000 miles an hour in less than a second, and the government saying they're not ours, they're not the Chinese, they're not the Russians, sooner or later, we're going to be wondering who's controlling them and what do they look like. Well, getting back to a little bit about what they look like, they look fearsome. Uh, are they? Are they aggressive? Um. I would say that um, from all reports it, it, that people have had, and 70, over 70% 70 of them are positive. Okay, there's only 30% of them are negative, and for the last decade or two, people have trolled on that and, and tried to whip up a lot of fear, you know, when it doesn't, re it's not really warranted. But um, uh, they, it, 
like any wild animal, especially if you meet one out in the woods, remember, there's people that we have still living in the Amazon that haven't seen an airplane, and they're very primitive from our point of view. And so it is with other creatures on this planet. We may be seeing some that live near surface areas in pocket, in pocket areas of, of, of woods or, or swamps that may be more primitive and dress more primitively. Meanwhile, there's some that are very advanced, just like there are primitive humans and very advanced humans. Right. And there are passive humans and there are aggressive humans and there are humans that mean ill towards others. So it's it's a mixed Correct. bag with humans. And why so similar with, why with reptoids. Right. Why should it be different for any other animal space, species? I know that I, you know, I love dogs, but there's some dogs that you meet that are because of life's experiences and stuff like that. They're not the best dogs to be around. They're unpredictable. They could charge you. and You just have to sense that and be sensible. Um, I think that anybody having contact with creatures like this, which has apparently happened down in, near Bishopville, South Carolina in the 1980s. The lizard um, man, yeah. The, the lizard man, right. And, and um, you know, the, Christopher Davis, they reported this young boy t- changing a tire in the middle of an area near uh, a field is charged in the middle of the night by something about six to seven feet tall with red glowing eyes upright on two legs charging him and when he gets back, he draws a picture, and this is like a, some sort of dinosaur man. And lizard, I mean, the uh, it was termed the lizard man, but uh, poor Christopher passed the lie detector tests, and the FBI yes. trained sheriff there, Liston Truesdale, for many decades had to deal with repeated sightings of these things, and it was a very difficult thing for a professional law enforcement officer to have to deal with because, of course, it, you know, when, when it comes to authorities, they like to ridicule it, just as much they do, you know, like any time you report a UFO, somebody in the past 20 years is going to step out in a space suit and say, yeah, yeah, it's all it's all crazy stuff in order to just dismiss it. We can't easily d- dismiss these things anymore. But given the physical description, they sound like they would have enormous physical strength, uh, like if they wanted to, if they were aggressive, they could uh, they could rip us limb from limb. Um, many people have had that impression. Okay, and and this is where it's when you're near something that's unusual, you go into a, some sort of a psychological shock. Anyway, you get partially paralyzed because you're looking at these vertical slit pupils focusing in on you. You know, and and um, it, that must be some sort of an experience to have. And and most people that they have religious connotations come up in their mind thinking this must be the devil everything i've heard about the devil this is it and i must, there must be something evil going on and you know it's and we have to remember that there are incidents in which people are awake there's been multiple eyewitnesses they and um then there are incidents in which people are having these experiences similar experiences but they're in the sleep state. And, and I believe this is because being exposed to the, uh, the information, the idea of reptilian humanoids, more or less loosens the reptilian part of our own brains. And then these come out as archetypes and uh, figures in which we see in our dreams to help us figure out issues we're having. And the fear we might relate to that is because we're dealing with uh, part of the brain that is awakened during semi-consciousness, and that's not normally what happens. And just like Carl Jung would say, you know, Carl Jung wore a, snake, a, a ring on his finger, and it was Norboris on it. And if, to him, it was a, this was a sacred thing. And um, uh, he, he even recognized that the reptilian part of the brain is active, and it can play tricks on the brain. So when I've been receiving these reports over the years, and I have to say, Okay, this person felt that this was an aggressive situation that took place. Uh, was it really? And then you realize that this person's uh, viewpoint is that all these things are evil around them and demonic, and you can't break them free of that. How do they communicate? Um, they've been known to be heard communicating through a series of clicks, as well as um, one-on-one telepathic communication in which you hear um, the spoken word inside your head, more or less. And um, uh, along with these kind of events, uh, it has been uh, seen that the 
the being was able to manifest some sort of a geometric plasma form outside its own forehead that went forward from it through to the through through the forehead of the person having the contact and when this uh, ball of plasma came out as rudimentary shapes at first and got ever more sophisticated as it got closer to the eyewitness and the eyewitness felt it more or less touch his forehead and he blacked out for a second Um, for many uh, days and weeks afterwards he had unusual information in his head about um, uh, uh, the the, um, science of optics and he went and took a, a, a laser uh, program course when it had already been closed out to students. But he took the test not knowing anything, and he passed the test and and, and um, surprised the teacher. And then he started feeling like this wasn't his. How could he have all this information and knowledge in his head? He didn't feel like it was his. And then in some way, he felt uh, like manipulated. And he felt uh, like he didn't like that because it, it was, he was acting on behalf of this creature. Was he or was he being stimulated in some way he couldn't fully understand? So it's very mysterious. So the, the intelligence, obviously, is, I mean, it's off the charts. Um, I mean, how many millions of years head start did they have in terms of their their evolutionary development? Are they... Uh, well, dinosaurs supposedly died off 65 million years. Uh, how far ahead of us are they? Well, dinosaurs, most dinosaurs died off. Uh, paleontologists now are in general agreement scientifically that, uh, you know, the birds are from a stock of dinosaurs. And primarily dinosaurs, we thought, are were they cold-blooded or warm-blooded? Because birds came out of dinosaurs. So how did a warm-blooded bird come out of a cold-blooded reptile? See, so right. over millions of years, uh, we morphologically change over time. And if you can imagine, what other animal on Earth, other than the descendant of the dinosaurs, such as a parrot, a gray parrot, has the reach the vocabulary of 600-plus words to be able to communicate with us and mimic human speech the way it does? It's really quite remarkable, and that's using a bird brain. So, you know, could it be that we actually occupy space, space that... Uh, something here has evolved through time with. Yeah, remember, uh, originally human beings, mammals, came after the amphibians and the reptiles. And there is a common ancestor to all mammals and reptiles. Deep down in our genetic stock, in the library of information we carry in us, at some tiny, tiny, tiny little level, there are memories of these things regarding our past. That's why in, in when a, a, a baby is going through uh, its development, they enter stage of embryogenesis, which means that at times it's very difficult to tell the difference between humans and birds and pigs. For example, we, have all, we all have tails. And in some instances, babies are born with tails up to six inches long right. that are fully functional. Okay, and in third world countries, they're seen sometimes as unusual omens and they're left alone. But in most uh, first world countries, they're uh, very discreetly removed, you know, by the doctors because they don't want to give anybody any kind of fearful, you know, bad thoughts. And I've met the the vestigial tale. John, we've got to take a time out. We'll uh, come back and uh, discuss further reptoids with the original crypto hunter john Rhodes, right here hi there i want to tell you about a podcast i know you're gonna love it's called the dead files from travel channel on the dead files amy allen and steve deshavi investigate the paranormal activity haunting real people and homes across the united states amy and steve come from totally different perspectives when they investigate Amy's a medium. She sees and speaks to dead people and uses this skill to find out why someone might be haunting a place. Steve is a retired homicide detective. He tackles the case from the other end of the spectrum and uses public records and witness accounts to piece together the history of the haunted location. On every episode, Steve and Amy investigate a different, real haunting to help the family struggling with its effects. On one episode in Falconer, New York, a family keeps waking up with scratches and bruises. They also see a shadow figure lurking around their home. They call Amy and Steve to investigate. Amy uses her strength as a medium to understand who the presence is coming from and why it's so angry. 
Separately, Steve finds out the history of the house from the townspeople and in public records. He finds that several people who lived in this house died, which matches Amy's findings. At the end of the episode, Steve and Amy share their findings and make a recommendation on whether it's safe to stay in the house or time to get out. There are so many crazy stories on the dead files, and what's interesting about Amy and Steve is that they investigate the hauntings from two totally different perspectives. You listen to my podcast because you love tales of the paranormal. But if you want more, listen to The Dead Files wherever you get your podcasts. I call it the miracle molecule, carbon 60 or C60 from my good friends at Evo C60. I take a tablespoon every morning. It delivers more than 172 times the power of vitamin C. C60 is a known antiviral, antioxidant, antibacterial, anti-inflammatory, and it's a remedy that works. C60 Evo can slow down the aging process by reducing cellular damage. C60 Evo users consistently enjoy better sleep and wake up feeling refreshed. I sleep like a baby. I have no aches or pains. Zero. I'm 58 and I don't have a gray hair on my head. And I have boundless energy. Get your miracle molecule in a bottle. C60 from c60evo.com slash Richard hyphen Serrett. Use the coupon code EVRS at checkout and save 10%. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. If you have a medical concern, please contact your healthcare provider. As you're staring up at the night sky, ever wonder who's staring back? No. Me either. But I guess you better say it because Richard, you know, he's all wrapped up in this stuff. <laughs> Conspiracy Unlimited with Richard Serrett. Welcome back. John Rhodes stays with us. Reptoids.com is the website. Reptoids.com. He's the original crypto hunter. And we're talking about the reptilians who uh, who may live right beneath our feet. Now, given their intelligence and um, their physical prowess, the question that arises is, you know, why are we living on on top of the, uh, on the surface and they're, you know, down below? They they should be ruling this planet, one would think. Or don't they have the numbers? Well, you know, reptiles have ruled this planet a lot longer than mammals have. I think 190 million years. And um, uh, it's the nature of a snake to seek the refuge underground, as it is with any intelligent species when it comes to defense systems. Almost all countries in the world now have some form of underground bases. And it's the underside of the Earth is much safer. Did you know that it's actually safer to be deep, up, deep underground during an earthquake than it is on the surface? A lot of people don't know that. And it's certainly right. safer in case of a comet impact. So uh, catastrophism is something that is not generally encouraged in societal discussion because big business wants you to think in short terms and they don't want you to suddenly pull your money. But the planet itself shows us often that this that Earth goes through some tumultuous times, perhaps cometary impacts, fragmentary body impacts and such that cause a surface reorganization of all things on the surface, almost. And what? Uh, Sorry, go ahead. The, the underground, the underground seems like a, a better investment of time to spend. Uh, and in addition to this, uh, when you look at the dinosaurs that died out millions of years ago, the last dinosaurs probably to die out are the ones that were accustomed to living in Antarctica. And those are because they were preconditioned to living in a cold climate. And if the asteroid that hit caused some sort of a dimming of sunlight and leading to some sort of a smaller, uh, a small sort of an ice age coming in, the, the other uh, equatorial dinosaurs and animals would die off. But the ones in the Antarctica wouldn't. They would most likely, having been used to spending time uh, to, uh, in darkness uh, and retreating perhaps into cave systems, they may have, it may have been their nature to retreat into a cave system and perhaps adapt to living underground. And um, then they could perhaps have been a form of the dinosaurs that could evolve independently, um, especially if they were, uh, if they in- in- encountered a situation where a punctuated equilibrium happened. That's a term that's used to discuss. Uh, a form of um, event that occurs on the Earth that suddenly mutations happen seemingly overnight. 
and punctuated um, equilibrium. Add, yes, punctuated equilibrium, and um, these because we think that that changes happen over long periods of time. But like the sea urchin was an animal that was like a flowery animal all over the oceans of the earth at one time, and it seemed like overnight again, relative terms. Uh, all of them all over the world turn into these spiny creatures. And it didn't happen independently and spread. It just happened independently. They all changed. And the forces on some sort of change like this are most likely a, a, um, a penetration of our Earth's atmosphere by uh, unusual solar radiations or exotic cosmic rays that come down to the Earth and that, you know, it changes things at the very smallest levels. That's my, what might be. We might be going through that right now. I mean, uh, they're talking about cometary fragment impacts happening more often now. I've read that, you know, Earth is moving through some sort of galactic dust cloud that seems to have minimal magnetism per particle, but collectively it has a lot. So things are charging up, and it's not just Earth. Things are different, changing on the planets inside our own solar system. So it's not just a global warming. So there's something so, going on. Is 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 there a singular cataclysmic event that that forced, for lack of a better word, forced the reptoids underground? Or um, I mean, can you pinpoint when they likely moved off of the Earth's surface to uh, subterranean dwellings? Well, the, the only thing I can surmise is uh, that, hey, 65 million years ago, there was a cataclysmic impact that destroyed pretty much everything, and whatever was left over evolved into birds. So if they changed that much in physical appearance into, and, and variated as much as the bird kingdom is, uh, then um, how much time does it take for other pocket civilizations to actually take shape, especially when they're not under solar radiation influences anymore, meaning that their mutations could happen more along something of an internal coding rather than an external force and adaptations. Because on the surface of the Earth, it's very dangerous. I mean, it truly is. It's pretty hostile. They, they, they found, That's for sure. Yeah, they've, they've found shark bones embedded into caves high in mountains. And when they look at the fragmentation of them, they go, this shark had to be traveling at 600 miles an hour. So what's carrying a shark that high up into the mountains and piling it back into a cave? So this idea of ro continent-wide rolling waves because of a, til a tilt in the Earth's axis or some sort of external body coming near us that shifts us after axis on occasion, that may be something that occurs, and um, as well as the solar issue. There's nothing more influential on the planet than the sun. And I think that what we've been going through for many decades here is this argument about, well, it's human cause. No, it's, it's this, it's that. The point being is it's, it appears to be solar caused, and they can't, there's nothing they can do about it. If the sun goes quiet, the atmosphere of the Earth, it balloons outwards. And it, when it's not compact, it allows cosmic rays to make their way down through the atmosphere, and weather starts changing. The Earth starts changing. And the... This, the, the sun is going through erratic behaviors even right now, long periods of acquiescence where it's really, uh, it's really quiet. Historically, those times have brought upon the ice ages, right. and even the mini ice age, just recently, where the Thames River was, float, was frozen over and vendors went out on ice skates and, and shut up, set up their wares. And kind of weather changed, and of course, food distribution changes. And I think what we're going now through is a precursor to these times happening again because of global weather change and um, also a, a, an over plan to just kind of like pull the world together. And we got to remember, if we're sighting uh, extraterrestrials and they land, are they want to, do you think they're going to want to set up different negotiations with different leaders of different countries all over? Or are they going to tell us to get our act together and have one voice? And that may be what's prompting uh, recent changes in, in, in historical uh, in historical senses, really, because we're being pushed very rapidly towards um, some sort of an, an event that's going to take place that's going to try and unify the world. Uh, global warming didn't do it. Uh, so now we're looking at different things. People are talking about the Chinese threat and the Russian threat and all this. 
I really believe that most of these nations have agreements behind the scenes that in which different governments, if there's shadow government of the United States, there's shadow government of China as well as Russia. And these guys may already be in total agreement based on the world and its processes and, and, and how things are to be going. So if we were to be forced underground, would would the reptoids be willing to uh, to share uh, space down there? Would they be willing to coexist with us, do you think? Well, the, a, a great example of something like that is the Hopi Indians. Um, I had personal friendship with the Hopi tribal leader on the most ancient of the plateaus up there in the old Ribeye village, and he was the traditional chief of the Hopi, Stanley Banetdemois. And um, uh, we had talked about the serpent peoples and their specificity in the, specifically in the uh, Grand Canyon area and how perhaps, you know, an underground place was found back there in 1909, April 5th, 1909, in the Arizona Gazette newspaper. They talked about a massive underground city that was found that could basically, um, you know, hold up to 50,000 people in it. And it had, you know, it looked like it had artifacts from Egypt that were deposited in there. And then nobody said anything since. So I said to Stanley, I said, Stanley, you know, what they discovered in 1909 was that you're opening into the earth. You have legends called the Sipapuni, which is like a hole in the ground. And you said that during manifested uh, disasters in the past, that only certain Hopi were led underground by what they call the ant people. Right. And you think of what an ant person is, you know, you got to come up with that. Again, this Whitley Stryber gray creature with big eyes, little thin limbs and everything. That's what from maybe a native's point of view, an ant would look like and they are underground. And and they say that the ant people gave so much of themselves, they became thin and looked the way they do today because of their generosity towards the Hopi that they held underground. You suggest that they may be living not only underground, but also off world and also in an alternate vibrational state of reality explain that that third one an, an alternate vibrational state of reality well um uh we see how strongly influenced religions have been by the serpent image over time originally the world was united under a serpent image because independently when they these guys took their drugs they would all kind of see this serpent from within their own reptilian brain this imagery was so strong that this is what was their standard, regardless if you were a Viking or a Native American here in the United States. They all seemed to worship the serpent. And it was only later that the bird came in, the symbol of the dove or the eagle, the standard in which we live under today, the dominant authoritarian rule. The um, And a great example of that is that um, uh, people have seen these beings be able to move physically in their uh, space as well as somehow become semi-translucent and walk through doors or walls as if they did not exist. And I remember a specifically a, a case in which I was dating this girl. She had a friend who was dating a gentleman that was a gardener at a church, and his 16-year-old daughter died in a tragic car accident, and he was devastated. And the, uh, the next time we saw him, about a year later, he seemed to be totally recovered. And I said, what a, what a great recovery you've had. And he goes... Well, to tell you the truth, he says, I was tending to some roses in the garden, and he says that of the church, and he says, all of a sudden, and I was talk, thinking about my daughter, and all of a sudden, I found myself in a different place. And he says, and, and it looked like that it was like a, a public area, like in Rome or something. We were sitting on a on a on a uh, the edge of a, a a fountain, and my daughter was there with me sitting next to me. And she said, don't mourn for me anymore, Father. I'm in a good place. Everything's okay. We all meet up at the end. And then he looked kind of puzzled. And then, and this was said during the dinner we were having. And then I said, well, what's troubling you? And he says, well, the strangest thing was, is that when she looked at me, she had vertical slit pupils like a snake. Dear Lord. He said, right. And, I, and, and I'm wondering in the back of my mind, where are these beings coming from? We know some of them are physical here, but we know there's humans and, and ghosts. People have seen ghost forms of humans. So are we dealing with some sort of ghost form uh, or non-human, non-physical form of reptilian beings that were, are occupying another 
area of, or a dimension, just like humans occupy perhaps a dimension. And this is why the spirit world and religions are so obviously influenced by these forms, too. And so, you know, we're talking about could creatures actually interact with us through space-time, moving about, and then just, you know, slip in and slip out. We just don't know what we're dealing with. And even then, when we have an open contact, we're never really going to know 100% of the truth. Uh, you also surmise that they may, may additionally be off-world. So they have uh, bases on, on other other planets. Is that the idea? Well, if if they evolved prior to man and and had attained a high intelligence, space exploration is the next great step. So um, there are ideas out there that are floating around that a contingent of these beings may have actually left the planet to go on a tour of other planets and tend to come back here one day. And when they do, they may claim that Earth is actually their home. They've just been away exploring. And this sets up, you know, when we have governments that have contact are we dealing with something off off our planet? Are they intending to stay? Do they occupy space? And if they occupy space, it brings up all these diplomatic issues about, you know, okay, if you're in the underground, but you're in the territory of the United States, are you an American reptoid? You know, so <laughs> we have to think about all those potentials that are ahead of us for open contact. And um, the UFO phenomena, are most all some of the craft that, that we see, these UAPs, are they terrestrial, piloted by these reptilians coming out from these subterranean bases? Is that your hypothesis as well? Well, I don't believe they're all. We may have off-world craft here as well, and off-world beings who come here to visit. But it certainly would answer the argument of when people have brought strange metals and things that they found at UFO sighting areas, and they brought them in for inspection, when the analysis comes in and they say, these are all terrestrial elements, so therefore they could not be extraterrestrial. Case closed. Well, that argument is now gone because they'd be using all the elements that we have on Earth, just in different scientific ways to come up with unique materials, just like, you know, we came up with graphite and different things. So the whole argument about coming from far off the planet to visit here Really, we think aliens are going to come from some distant place just to spend five minutes and go home? Is it that simple? Or are they going to come here with some sleeping bags and bunker down, perhaps in a cavern system and park behind the banyan tree or something? Well, my guess is that just like on Star Trek, they'd probably set up some hidden labs in which they'd observe us from a distance. And that may be going on as well. How big is this subterranean civilization? Are are they all gathered together in one location, or are they are they dispersed evenly underneath the the ground? And do they communicate with one another down are they these various you know populations? Of course, all of this can be conjecture, uh, but I would imagine that they're distributed across the planet. Um, some heavier concentrations in areas than others. Um, and I don't know if those would be equatorial or towards the the polar regions um, because of point of origin. There's only about one two thousandths of the Earth's surface has an opening into the ground. So I think that we're talking about an, a, a, a civilization that may be um, more active in some areas than not. And if they communicate, I would imagine that they do, perhaps in the larger population areas and then by other means they have different communications to outlying areas that may not be on the same communication system and of course this is all conjecture right because we really don't know we know that there's a there's probably a higher probability that we're dealing with something that's just unknown that we've been living with on our planet and that's the point of origin of a lot of myths and legends and people have dealt with them from time to time and uh, we may be coming forward to a time in which we have open contact again. Would there, would these various populations underground of the, the reptilians, would would they likely be connected with, you know, high speed shuttles, tunnels, etc.? Oh, I would imagine that they would, uh, just like our own government is believed to be, uh, actually very heavily installed underground. You know, the idea of a tube shuttle being built that could take a person from coast to coast to New York to Los Angeles in half an hour. These are all feasible things back in the, with our tech, normal technologies back as far as 1970s. So if and do, uh, an advanced civilization lived underground, I imagine they have something much better even than what we have secretly have linking our, our own military underground bases across the United States. 
And to what extent do you believe are the reptilians cooperating with various militaries and governments around the world in in these uh, underground bases? You know, I do not know. I imagine if we're if we have some sort of a global uh, a shadow government agreement on a global scale that um, we have taken people from other nations and um, brought them in to introduce them to these beings so they could go back as representatives to their countries and talk about what's real and what's not real, and also the scientific sharing of, of knowledge, because this is what really is, you know, is what it's all about. It's a matter of what technologies could you acquire through negotiated contracts that can be dispersed across the planet so we can proceed with the next novel technology that may not even be of human origin, but we adapted it to our own systems. All right, let's go to the YouTube live chat. And Magavelli asks, John, have we or the reptilians been to Mars? Do the reptilians live on other planets? Um, I imagine if they've, they've evolved here, there could be similar stages of evolution happening in other planets that are similarly constructed. And that um, there's probably uh, mammal and reptile creatures on other planets. And, and to what degrees they may have evolved intelligence are going to be probably again changing, depending on what's happening on their in their on their local planet. Uh, so yeah, I believe that there's some from other worlds, most definitely. I don't think that you know we are as unique as we like to think. Sigma Six asks: Are the reptilians responsible for some of the notorious cases of missing people? Well, just I guess if you want to think that, you'd have to also put Bigfoot in there. Is Bigfoot responsible? Because, the, you know, again, these are uh, creatures that we've had sightings of. And, of course, you know, people have disappeared in park regions, and we don't really know where they go to or where, or they, where they disappeared to. So all of that, again, is going to be a matter of it depends on if you like to hug a Bigfoot, don't think about that with them. And if you're like, you know, petting a smooth-scaled lizard, don't think that about them. Uh, we just we just don't know. There's no credible evidence to say that they are are directly harmful or have abducted people and taken them to places where they've been terrorized and come back with any kind of physical evidence that anything more than um, what they have around them. They're just hasn't been just like we haven't discovered the bone of a reptilian being but we're con conjecting you know conjuring up ideas based on science to figure out could they actually exist are they right under uh, are they under large urban centers for example los angeles would they be under there uh there was a report a number of years ago in which a uh, geologist was searching for a city that the Hopis say that was in the Los Angeles area and that was occupied by what they call the lizard people and that this was an ancient civilization that lived there and that Los Angeles was built on that point. Uh, so the area of Los Angeles in itself for, is a very, very important place for different reasons. Uh, uh, and um, it could be that some past civilization along the coastline settled there as well. Um, it's... Uh, it's really unusual because you can't I've – I've done television shows in which we've tried to map out the underground of Los Angeles, and they've denied access to the streets to be able to use any kind of seismic equipment to look down underground. Ooh, and that's so, you know, the idea is that they say, well, every building is sensitive, but I think what they're really doing is they don't want you to see exactly how vast a network of tunnels and, and underground facilities extend all the way around Los Angeles, especially down towards the – Redondo Beach, Palos Verdes area, all that El Segundo area where the uh, leading aer aerospace technology countries uh, companies are, as well as DOD uh, organizations. Vic asks, do these creatures have a political setup? If so, what kind of social political system do they have or might they have? The only thing that we've been able to determine is that uh, there have been other reptilian beings that have, seen, that have been seen that uh, do not look like the standard ones. They appear to sometimes have white skin like an albino and also they have wings and these wings are like large bat-like wings attached to, the, to their back and when they have them folded they look like these beings are have uh, shoulders that are running really high and then they, they have this black draping down on it so it almost looks like their their eyes are lower on their chest when it's really the the, the wings coming up behind them and um 
they seem to be giving instructions to the regular reptilians that do not have the wings. So uh, we've gotten the impression that these guys are somehow in charge. There may be some um, sort of hierarchy set up based on physical form, uh, how you look. Of course, uh, as far as politics, I have no idea. They, they may not even deal in politics at all. They may have evolved way past politics. They may have said, look, this is a, the only people that win this game of politics are the people that created it. So we quit it a long time ago. They probably run their society based more on a business model because of trade. Because that's what it always comes down to. What would they subsist on? What, what would they would they grow their own food down there? Would they uh, come up to forage on the on the surface occasionally? I imagine that, and um, we they may be uh, in have negotiated agreements with our surface governments to take um, goods uh, down below, uh, meaning they are trucked out of warehouses, go into a hangar, and nothing comes out of the hangar. Just an em- a door opens up and it's empty again. Meaning there's lifts going from hangars into tunnel systems for food support and logistical supports for underground bases as well as theirs. Fascinating. So, uh, John, where can we um, where can we see you next? Do you have any television specials coming up, any speaking events? Uh, well, the speaking events have been mixed for a while. I'm currently yes. working on a unique project that I'll talk to you at some point in the future about. Um, and... Um, uh, right now, it's a matter of just kind of like searching things out up here in the Mariposa area. You know, we're still de- I'm still dealing with the discovery of in a- 1854 of a large cavern that was 40 miles in excess of 40 miles in distance. And it went from the Yosemite National Park through the Sierra Mountains. And the appear- story appeared everywhere in the United States, except in the town of Mariposa, where it originated. And oh, so my. these are the kind of these are the kind of lar- uh, stories like the Grand Canyon underground thing that I found a number of years ago. I brought out to the public that they has blown up and TV shows have been doing d- done about it and everything. This is a new one. And it's uh, definitely a most interesting story. Uh, but it again, it involves, you know, history and uh, the na- local natives. And the fact that, you know, we might have found underground spaces, massive underground spaces in the past, and then just kept them quiet and didn't want anybody to know about it because we were dealing with, you know, issues in which they may want to later occupy it as an underground facility for some sort of an outpost or something for the U.S. Army. John, absolutely fascinating. We'll have to do this again soon. We won't leave it 14 years next time, I promise. Thank you so much for this. Anytime. A new Conspiracy Unlimited with Richard Serrett drops every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday at ConspiracyUnlimitedPodcast.com. Blow your mind. That is all for now. Oh, and remember to share and give a five-star review because we have huge egos and need love. We're like cats. We need... We need constant petting.